Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look together at verses 16 through 18 as our our jumping off point for this morning. We're continuing our series on the one another, Ten Commandments. And this week we come to the second of those two commandments. Uh, we were talking this morning before the service about, you know, should we postpone stuff? Should we cut stuff out? We, want, we don't want to keep people here too long. And, uh, and so I, I was joking that, you know, the more stuff we cut out, the more time I'll have to fill with preaching. So, so uh, oh, man, this is awesome. I got a lot of time looking at the clock there. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you'll please stand with me, we'll read together Holy Scripture. This is Romans chapter 12. We're going to read together verses 16 through 18. This is God's word for us, his people. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is God's holy word for us as people. Father, I ask that you would bless the reading and now especially the preaching of your word. I ask for clarity of thought and accuracy of speech that would be faithful to your scriptures and to your inspired truth. And I ask that you would open my heart and the hearts of those here and those watching. Those watching this morning and those who may watch this at a later date. I pray for us all who hear this word that we would have open hearts to receive it as your word to us. And that we would receive it and welcome it with joy. And live it out in our lives together. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, this week we come to the second most repeated one another in the Bible. Last week's one another was love one another. And the New Testament gives more emphasis to that commandment than any other. And after love, the Bible is most concerned that the church is at peace among the body. And so this is the second one another commandment we will consider. Commandment number one, love one another. Commandment number two, be at peace with one another. Remember that part of the command to love one another is to have sincere, earnest, brotherly affection for one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. 
But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to grow more and more in your sincere brotherly love and affection for one another. God himself teaches us to love one another. So part of that command is to have this brotherly affection. In other words, to love one another means treat each other like family. Because in Christ, that's really what we are. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible calls the church the household of faith. The home where believers live. That's the church. We're also referred to as the family of God. And if that's what we are, we should act like it. If that's what we are, we should live like it. We should love like it. As the covenant family of the Lord, we are bound to one another. We are members of one another in one body. And so we ought to love one another deeply. And that's last week. And the connection to this week is this. Flowing from that love for one another, the next thing we ought to do is to be at peace with one another. I read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In the next chapter, in chapter 5 verse 13, Paul says very succinctly and directly, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace with one another. Now think about a regular family life. Think about a normal family. A good, strong family... What does that look like? What does it feel like and look like either to be in one of those families or to see one of those families? A good, strong, deep, healthy family is one where everyone loves each other deeply and treats each other well. But what would you think of a family where everyone says that they love each other But the more you're around them and the more you watch them, they never get along. Ever. They're always complaining, arguing, fighting. They're always rude to each other. They're bitter or negative or spiteful or critical. They're always divided or judgmental and short-tempered, impatient and inconsiderate and disrespectful to each other. Oh, but, oh, but we really love each other. We just can't stand to be around one another. For too many families, I'm afraid, are like this. Yes, it's true. I'm sure it's true. At some level, they do actually love each other. They are family after all. And you can tell because even if they can't stand each other, if someone outside the family starts picking on somebody in the family, it's like, okay, wait a minute. I'll talk junk about him or her all day long, but you don't say anything. That's my brother. That's my sister. If I say something to them, that's fine, but you better shut your mouth. And you can tell there's like a little bit of the, this is us, and yeah, we hate each other, but no, we really love each other in some way. Too many families, I'm afraid, are like this. At some level, sure, they probably do really love each other, but they don't act like they love each other very much. They don't act like... This doesn't seem like they like being around each other. 
What's missing from a family like that? Peace. Peace. A good, strong, healthy family is still going to have conflict, still going to have arguments. People still aren't going to get along sometimes. Sometimes people are going to get really ticked off at each other. But a good, strong, healthy family, even when they have that conflict, that's not the norm. Their week-to-week family life is not characterized as constant tension and conflict. But peace is the norm. The goal, the norm of the family's life together is peace, harmony, and unity flowing from their love for each other. This is what I want us to focus on today. How to be a church at peace with one another. And there are three steps to this. Three steps to consider. Number one, we need to consider the provider of peace. The first step in being a church at peace with one another is to recognize that first and foremost, peace is a gift. The kind of peace that God is calling us to is a supernatural gift. It is not something that you or I is capable of conjuring up and creating and maintaining in our own strength by the arm of the flesh. We just don't have it in us to have the, the kind of peace that God calls His church to have. Peace is a gift provided by the grace of Christ. And Jesus provides us with this peace in at least three ways. Let me just run through these with you. How does Jesus give us His peace? First of all, Jesus provides peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No one in here can have the kind of peace that Christ envisions for His people. None of us can have that peace with each other if we don't first have peace with God. And underneath this word peace in Greek is the old Hebrew idea of shalom. And shalom is not just a ceasefire It's not just a lull in the conflict. Shalom is deep wholeness and spiritual wellness. It is a true friendship between us and God. Jesus finds us under the wrath of God in our sin. And He plucks us out of our sin, redeems us, gives us His righteousness, makes us whole in Him, gives us His Holy Spirit, fills us with His grace, and He makes us right with God. And that's the first step in accomplishing the peace that we have with one another is each of us in the gospel, in Christ, have peace with God. The second way Jesus provides us with His peace is that He gives us His peace in our hearts. He doesn't just make us at peace with God, but He also puts His own experience of peace that He had when He lived 
among us. In the midst of all of his trials and sufferings, being sinned against constantly and never sinning against anybody else in retaliation, he was full of heavenly, perfect peace. And he says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace in the heart of Jesus is the peace he wants to put in yours. To make you at peace with God, but also to put you at peace and at rest in this trouble-filled world among other troubled people. (laughs) Each of us is troubled All of us are flawed. And in the midst of all of our flaws, troubles, problems, and all the obstacles that each of us bring to a church in terms of making peace, Jesus puts his peace in our hearts to help us overcome. He says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We can be at peace no matter what is going on in the world around us. Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul suffered enormously as an apostle. And part of what sustained him was the peace that sustained Christ all the way through the garden and to the cross, that old rugged cross. How did he do it? Part of the answer is he had the peace of heaven reigning in his mind, heart, and conscience. Peace is what dominated the Lord Jesus. And he gives his peace to us so that we might be peaceful people as well. The third way Jesus provides us with his peace is that he makes us be at peace with each other in the body. This is in in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul has an extended discussion of how Jesus accomplishes peace in the early church. Jews and Gentiles in one church was causing a lot of conflict A whole lot of hostility was happening. And the the apostles had to figure out, how do we keep a united church of Jews and Gentiles who don't naturally get along? How can we help them get along? There was lots of turmoil to be overcome. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus you, Gentiles, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It says in the next verse that Jesus has created in himself one new man, a new humanity, in place of the two, Jew and Gentile, so making peace. Jesus is the one who accomplishes accomplishes our peace among us. He forges us together into one body. He makes us one and he puts us at peace with one another. 
And so if we want to have that kind of peace in our church, if we want to be at peace with one another, we have to recognize it's a gift. And we need to pray for it. If it's a gift, you have to ask for it. It can only be received. It can't be conjured up and manufactured. It's a gift. And it starts as a gift. All of our goodness in our own lives starts out as His grace before it ever gets to us. But as grace comes down and floods our soul, it comes out on the other end as good works and holiness and obedience and worship and the character of a true Christian. It looks like a new creature, but it starts as His grace. Peace in the body is no different. It begins as His gift, and therefore we should ask for it. And because it's His gift, we have to receive it as such. And then, what does Jesus call us to do once we've received it? Once He makes us at peace with God and puts His peace in our hearts, and He makes us at peace with one another, then what do we do? Do we just sit and soak it in? No, we have to live life. We have to see each other and... Interact with each other, sinners though we still are. And so peace starts as a gift and then Jesus calls us to spread it, to share it, and to practice it. Practice peace in our lives together. And that brings us to the second point this morning. Point one is the provider of peace. Recognize that peace comes from Christ And the point two is this, the pursuit of peace. The first step to being at peace is recognizing that Jesus is the source. He's the giver, the provider of peace. And the second step is this, peace is a verb. This kind of peace is a verb. It's an action. Peace is not just a gift. It's something that we have to. To do as well. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue it. Peace involves actions and it must be pursued. It must be practiced. It must be maintained because as we live life together and as we continue to sin against each other... It's going to take being intentional about maintaining the peace that Christ gives us. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Of course, because God is a peace-loving God. And if we make peace, we imitate Him as sons imitate their fathers. How do we pursue this peace with one another? This is the heart of the sermon today. How do we pursue peace with one another? Here's where we get to those specifics we've been talking about. Our passage in Romans 12, where we started, tells us two ways that we are to pursue peace. Number one, we pursue peace when we strive for harmony with an attitude of humility. We strive for harmony with an attitude of humility. Look how Romans 12, 16 begins. It says, live in harmony with 
one another. And verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. How do we, what does this look like as we strive for harmony? What are some specifics about how to do that? What it looks like? There are a few things to say about this. Live peaceably, Paul says in verse 18. He says, as far as it depends upon you, that means it depends upon you, at least in part. That means it is at least partly up to you if you are going to be living peacefully with one another. There are choices that need to be made. It's a decision you need to resolve to do ahead of time before you wait till you're in the middle of a conflict to say, now, oh man, should I be peaceful? Maybe let me find some resources in the midst of my anger to be peaceful. Well, find those resources back here before you ever get there. Resolve today, I will be one who lives in peace, walks in peace, and yes, conflict's going to happen, but in the midst of it, I am committed to peace. Make peace. Keep the peace. Make choices now that lead to peace, not strife. When you're sinned against... Or when something happens you disagree with, or or someone said something you don't like, or there's whatever the conflict is, whatever the turmoil, disagreement happens to be, resolve that, just acknowledge, yes, be honest about your feelings, I'm upset about that, angry about that, perturbed, rubbed the wrong way, didn't like that, didn't appreciate that. Acknowledge it, be honest with it, admit it to God, yep, I don't feel good about this. But then say, Lord, help me now to make choices in the midst of this. What do I do with this anger? What do I do with this negative feeling? Help me now to make choices with my words and actions that are going to lead us down a path of resolution and peace, not strife and bitterness and resentment and division. Man, that's hard to do. That's not easy to do, so we have to start ahead of time. We've got to build up our resistance to give in to the anger. To get spiritually mature and healthy ahead of time. People who are great at lifting weights don't just go in the gym with no practice and start bench pressing 500 pounds. They've got to build up some muscle to handle that kind of weight and pressure. And you've got to build up some muscle to handle a big conflict. And do that ahead of time. Because it's so hard, that's why we started with point one. It's a gift. That's why you ask for the resolve and the resources and the strength to do it. And that's why when you do overcome conflict and anger and make those peacemaking decisions, God gets the glory, not you. Because you asked him for the ability to do that. It comes from him. That's the first thing we got to do. Realize that it is, he says, as much as it is depends upon you, as much as is possible, live peaceably with all. Sometimes things are going to be outside your control, and ultimately you have to realize that you could do everything you possibly can to stay peaceful with somebody, and if they don't want to be peaceful with you, that's their problem at that point. You're not responsible for how they respond to you. You're only responsible for how you respond to them. They will answer for their own thoughts, words, actions, feelings before the Lord, not you. 
They'll be responsible for what they say. That's their business. But as much as it depends upon you, you be at peace. You be at peace. And let the Lord deal with them. That way you, you avoid being vengeful and resentful towards that person. You let God handle that. It's out of your hands. You be at peace. Don't let their lack of peace steal yours. Second thing for the, under this point of striving for harmony is make peace and harmony your top priority. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let his peace, that peace he gives you, remember John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Let that peace rule in your heart, reign in your heart. It's your top priority. I'm going to love my neighbor as Christ loves my neighbor and as Christ loves me. And I am going to make peace as much as it depends upon me. My goal is peace, not to be right, not to be justified, not to be proud. Not for everyone to acknowledge how right I am and how bad they are. No, peace is my top priority. And whatever else comes my way, I relinquish it. Ephesians 4, 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager to stay at peace with one another. A third thing here under striving for harmony, with an attitude of humility, here's where the humility comes in, be humble towards one another. Be humble towards one another. Romans 12 again, verse 16, it says, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty. Don't be arrogant, prideful, boastful. Don't be puffed up about yourself. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You come at this effort to be at peace with this attitude of humility. No one in here is any, is any worse than me. No one in here is any better than me. I'm not any better than anybody else. We're on the same level. Associate with the lowly. That means whoever is the greatest among you and whoever is at the bottom. We make sure we put ourselves on the same level. We're all going to have different rates of growth in our Christian faith. Some people are going to be more talented or more skillful or more advanced in their Christian walk. Or they're going to know more Bible than somebody else. And, and people are going to be all over the map spiritually. And how mature they are and how much they know and... What resources they use, if they even... The point is, we're going to make sure we don't get into this who's better, who's worse, who's farther ahead, who's at the bottom. We're not going to do this game. It's not a competition. The competition is for the whole body to advance forward together. Not for the whole body to be at odds with each other. We are going to be humble towards one another equally and treat each other the same. The last thing I'll say about this first point is this. How do we strive for harmony with an attitude of humility? We bend over backwards to agree with each other and to be on the same page working together to build each other up. 
We're bending over backwards to be unified and to build each other up. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, Paul says. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Or Romans 14, 19, again. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We, our goal is not just to get along, but also to be there to strengthen each other, to pull each other up, and to pull each other along with us, that we all as one body advance forward. We are committed to being to love each other, to be at peace, and to help each other grow and get better and improve and move forward in their walk with the Lord. If we're all striving to better one another, not to be better than one another, but to help each other be better, grow, make progress in their sanctification and their walk with the Lord, we will be at peace. We will take a huge stride forward to being at peace. Now, I said that under this point of the pursuit of peace, our passage tells us two ways to pursue peace. That was the first. Strive for harmony with one another with an attitude of humility. Now the second. Avoid the perils of peace. Avoid the perils of peace. Back in our passage, Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That means never be vengeful towards one another. Never retaliate at each other. Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. It means never be arrogant and show favoritism for each other, uh, favoritism towards some over others. It's easy in the church for us over here to have our clique and our group. There's an in-group here of all the cool kids, and then the other ones sit down there at that table in the lunchroom, thinking back to high school here. And there's cliques, and there are groups, and that group likes each other, and they don't hang out with that one. And this group over here, they like each other, but they don't really want to be around the others. And we get into these cliques, and we get into groups, and we have division, and we favor our group, and we don't favor the other. And the church becomes this little patchwork of little groups that never interact. That's favoritism. Now, there are going to be people that you hang out with more than others. You can't have a deep, deep relationship with every single member in the church so that you're best buddies with every single person. Of course, that, that's not possible. You can't do that. You, there's not enough of you to go around to do that. So you're going to have some people you know more and hang around more. That's, that's fine. I'm not saying anything against that. But what happens is when our little clique insulates itself from the rest of the body... And no one else gets to come in. And we're not going to make an effort to interact with anybody else. That's when we start showing the kind of factions and favoritism that the Bible warns against. We're not going to be arrogant towards each other. 
We're not going to be vengeful and boastful. We're not going to retaliate. We're not going to repay evil for evil. We're not going to show this kind of cliquish favoritism. It also means this. Avoiding the perils of peace also involves never compare yourselves with each other. The second we start comparing ourselves, how am I measuring up to that guy there? How's she doing? And then look at myself. How are we doing here? As soon as we start comparing ourselves to each other, you will sin in one of two ways. You'll either be proud or you'll be envious. You'll either think, man, I I stack up pretty good against her. Pride. Or you'll look at someone who's ahead of you and think, jealousy, envious. Or you'll accuse holier than thou. So spiritual, aren't you? And we'll start to divide. The peace will be ruptured. When we compare ourselves by ourselves, we will sin against each other in one of two ways. We will be proud or we will be envious. Galatians 5.15. Or Galatians 5.26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Galatians 5.15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It means stop bickering. Stop gossiping. Stop holding grudges. All the infighting. All the whispering. We gossip and call it a prayer request. Be careful. Be very careful. Bickering and gossiping and grudges will destroy the peace of the body. So if you have a grudge and someone has sought peace and asked for forgiveness, biblically it's time to let go of that grudge. To accept your brother or sister's sincerity and to reconcile. If we all hold those grudges, we will get bitter, we will become resentful, we will separate, the peace will be gone, and the body will be divided. And Christ is calling us higher than that. Grudges feel good. I mean, they feel bad in one sense because it's angry and it's negative. But on the other hand, sometimes we nurse a grudge. We enjoy not liking a person. Because we think that person deserves it and has it coming. And we want to see them get theirs. And we'll hold on to that grudge. It's not worth it. It destroys the peace of Christ in your heart. It divides you from each other. It separates you from the body. It brings no glory to Christ. It's disobedient. Last thing I'll say about this. James 5.9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop nitpicking. Stop being overly critical. Philippians 2.14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I like the NIV a little better. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. 
Nothing will bring down the peace of a church like constant grumbling, constant complaining, always being nitpicking, being overly critical of other people's decisions or what they're doing. You see why I started with point one? Why peace has to be a supernatural gift? This is hard. We are fleshly, fallen people. And this is not easy, especially when you're in the middle of it. You see why peace has to be a gift? Only God can make us like this. Only God can root this kind of stuff out of us because it comes so, so naturally to, to the fallen human sinful soul. It's second nature for us to do this. Three steps to being at peace with each other. Step one, remember the provider of peace. Peace is a gift. Step two, pursue peace. Peace is a verb. It's something we have to do. And the last thing, we'll end with this, the purpose of peace. Final point this morning is the purpose of peace. Step three to being at peace with one another is realizing that peace is ultimately about the glory of God. We should be at peace with one another because without it, we can't bring glory to God as we ought. We can't do it as individual Christians and we can't do it as a church. Paul makes this point in a prayer that he offers for his readers in Romans 15, 5 and 6. Listen to what he says. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we come here for worship, and we come here and we sing together, and we worship together, and we pray together, and we recite the creed together, and we take communion together, and at the same time we're divided and bickering and angry, our unity in worship is a lie. We're doing all these things together as though we're one body, but if internally we're not actually unified, we're not telling the truth to each other or to God, we're acting like we're together, but we're not. And that does not bring glory to God. Paul says, Oh, may God grant you, that's why it's a gift, may God grant you to live in harmony together with Christ so that you can glorify God with one voice. And if we're not living in that harmony, we're detracting from His glory. Our lack of peace also lies about the provider of peace. It brings discredit to Jesus when we refuse to pursue peace. It tells the world that Jesus has no eternal peace to offer. He can't even get His own people to get along. The purpose of peace is for the glory of God, to tell the truth about the peace that Christ offers in the gospel. If we don't live in peace, we're sending a false message about who He is as our Lord. 
conclusion. We need to repent of our lack of peace, wherever it may be. And I don't have any particular person in mind, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just scattering the seed and let it fall where it wills. And the Holy Spirit will take over from there. Whoever we are, and I'm not exempting myself, we all, wherever we find a lack of peace, need to repent. We need to repent wherever it may be found. Without pointing fingers, let each of us commit to be at peace with one another this morning. Everyone here, everyone watching, let's commit together that we will be at peace with each other. Let us look to the provider of peace this morning, the prince of peace that we sing about in Advent. Let's seek His mercy on our sins and failures in this area. Let's plead with Him today to give us the gracious gift of deep, true, lasting peace. Let us share, let us practice and maintain this peace in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And may we offer that peace back to our Lord Jesus Christ in our worship for the good of our church and for the glory of our God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us a gospel of peace. A gospel that makes us at peace with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. A gospel where he's always the giver and we are always the needy receiver because that way you get all the glory. So we ask you for the gift of peace today. May the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, each of us individually and in our body as well. Oh, may we be a united people who love each other and then out of that overflow of love, we live as much as it is possible for us to do in an admittedly fallen, frustrating, and difficult world. May we live in peace with one another. May we take what you have taught us in, the, in your scriptures today and put it into practice and begin exercising those muscles now so that when the conflicts come, and of course we know they will, but when they come, we will respond like Christ and not in our flesh. And we ask for this, this gift, and for the resolve in our hearts to pursue it so that we can bring proper, true glory to our Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And through Him, we can glorify You with our words, our thoughts, our hearts, and our lives. That's our prayer today. Give us your peace that we can bring glory to you, O God. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.